You're listening to DraftKings Network. The feeling of winning, that feeling of the confetti falling on your head and um, knowing you're the best at something, it's addicting. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We're produced by Jack Connell, musical producer, my son, Sam Brandt, that music you hear under us. And we are presented, as always, by DraftKings. I've got a special edition for you today on the Business of Sports podcast. My day job, I run a sports law and business program at Villanova University. We had our annual symposium last week, the Morad Symposium. I think I'm biased, but the premier event on the sports education calendar in terms of getting the best guests possible, talking about cutting edge topics in sports law and business. And we closed the podium last week. We closed the symposium with an interview by me with Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager, the NFL executive of the year, the person who built maybe the best team in football this year, although they lost the Super Bowl. And we had a sit down close to an hour, just me and Howie. I've known Howie Roseman for a long time. We were colleagues in salary cap management in the NFL in my early years, his early years, back when he was doing it for the Eagles, I was doing it for the Packers. And then we overlapped at the Eagles. When I moved back to Philadelphia, I joined the Eagles as a consultant brought in by Andy Reid and Joe Banner, just because we were, they were moving Howie Roseman from the salary cap contract part of the office to the personnel office where he was being groomed to become general manager, which he has been for several years now. So Howie and I have known each other a long time. We've worked together. We've seen each other socially. We've lived near each other. And this was a time for me to expose him to our expansive audience at Villanova. And we had a complete full audience, 300 people in the room, who are kind of wrapped in attention at every word. I look out on audiences often and I can see people sometimes looking at their phones or know when they're not engaged. But this was 100% when I looked out there. They were all engaged. Listen, Howie Roseman has, I've been critical of him in the past. I've been critical of the big bet they made on Carson Wentz and how that was maybe the worst mistake over the past couple of years in football, although there have been others. Um, but I've been very laudatory about Howie, about the things he does that give the Eagles a competitive advantage, the way he negotiates trades, the way he negotiates free agent deals that are under market compared to other deals that are better trades compared to other trades. Anyway, we sit down, we talk about that. We talk about his journey to the Eagles, how he wrote letters to every GM in the NFL, his journey with the Eagles where he's gone through some ups and downs Despite their success, he's had some personal challenges. I ask him about Wentz. I ask him about what he saw in Hertz. I ask him about the future of Hertz. And we talk about the future challenges for both the Eagles and the NFL. I think it's a wide-ranging conversation that I think you'll enjoy. And I present it to you here as this week's edition of the Business of Sports. So without further ado, my sit-down at Villanova on Friday, March 31st, last week, with Howie Roseman, 
Eagles general manager and reigning executive of the year in the NFL. Here's Howie. Our final interview is with a longtime friend of mine who you guys may have heard of, Philly sports fans, uh, coming off what a wonderful season. Let's give a welcome to the NFL's executive of the year in 2022, Howie Roseman. Welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me. We've known each other a long time. Uh, you're a Philly. You're not a Philly guy. So tell us about your story, how you ended up here way back with Joe Banner and all the letters you've written. That's a story out there. Let's let you tell it. Yeah, I think in anything in life, your passion um, kind of should control your destiny. And for me, my passion was always football. Um, Unfortunately, I was a 119-pound wrestler in high school, so um, I was not able to play at a high level. But I had this passion for building teams and, um, you know, evaluating talent and putting it all together with the salary cap. And so I just um, really kind of went in the direction of my dreams, and um, I, I kind of went on a letter-writing campaign starting really in high school and then at the University of Florida, and then I went to Fordham Law School. And uh, finally got my foot in the door um, with an internship with the Eagles. And, you know, in an industry where people don't really stay in one place, um, I was able to kind of uh, move up and get different jobs and uh, all through the same organization. And so I've been there ever since. And um, obviously a big part of that is, is we got to win. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's special. It's been a special run. And, you know, uh, a run that I don't feel like is close to being over, hopefully. You mentioned it. You know, I was in one place, as you know, almost 10 years, Green Bay, but so rare in this industry to see someone persevere in one organization for so long. It's such a volatile industry, not only for players, but management. Any secrets to how you've been such longevity with the Eagles through different coaches, through different management? How do you explain that? Well, I think the first thing is um, you have to show that you have some sort of institutional knowledge. And uh, for me, I was very fortunate to get in and be exposed to every different area of the business. And, you know, I think a lot of times um, people think about general managers and they think of just scouting, which which is a big part uh, of what we do. Obviously, you know, we got to acquire talent and and get players, but I think the other part of it is, you know, I think Washington, maybe even today, is going to sell for $6 billion. And so uh, these jobs, you're really the CEO of a $6 billion uh, company. And so uh, being able to understand the business aspect of it, understand that the owner's job is to win games and also to make money and uh, making good business decisions on your players and um, understanding resource allocation in terms of you have a limited number of resources, whether it's in terms of cap dollars, uh, cash that you can spend on your team, or draft picks. And everyone's playing with the same, basically the same amount of those. And so how you allocate those, how you build your team, how you hire people and staff, kind of any advantage you can get. And so I've been fortunate to be around a, a lot of good people, um, a lot of good coaches, a lot of good front office staff. and. Uh, I think that the key for me is surrounding yourself with really good people and people who can continue to make you better and challenge you. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of them in Philly. When you grew up, you mentioned a little bit when you were writing the letters. But as a kid, 
and welcome. Your oldest son is here. Good to have him. As a kid, were you interested in this side of sports? I mean, a lot of kids are just the stats and the great players and the fantasy, whatever, but were you interested in kind of the business side of sports, even as a young guy? Well, I think when you say the business side of sports, for me, it probably means something different than it does to other people. You know, the business side of sports is negotiating the contracts and putting the team together and using the resources um, and the business side of sports for other people may be the marketing side. It may be, um, you know, being the CFO. And so there's different aspects of the business side of sports, but um, I love putting teams together. I love putting teams together, not only on the field, but off the field. You know, it, it's, uh, if, we have a, if, if we have an area in our organization that needs improvement, I love trying to find the best people and, and um, doing it. For example, a couple years ago, uh, our injury was terrible. Um, we won the Super Bowl in 17, but we lost a lot of key players. And that kind of turned over in 18 and 19, and we had to fix it. And so we brought in a whole new performance staff, training staff, uh, doctors. And this year we had 22 of 22 starters playing in the Super Bowl, which is kind of unique. And so proud of that group right there. And I feel like, you know, putting that team together was important um, in some ways, just as important as some of the players on the field. Let's talk about your evolution. I remember you and I growing up together in the salary cap world, negotiating contracts, kind of what you guys know as salary cap guru, contract negotiator, nerd, <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, you transitioned. You went to more of the personnel side. And I knew always, knowing you, that was a passion of yours. But I also know that you faced resistance, kind of for people who watch the movie Moneyball, kind of this resistance from the old guard, the, the old line scouts, who's this money guy or business guy coming in to try to do our job. I know you were affected by that and you pushed through it. I watched you. Talk about that. Yeah, I think when you when you have a different background and people see that, um, they want to they protect their jobs, you know, and uh, the NFL is probably the last league that um, had this culture of um, just scouts really getting these jobs. And so, um, understandably, they didn't want this whole uh, new kind of growth of people who could take these GM jobs because they're hard to get. And so I understood that, and I understood that there were certain things that I had to do to overcome that. You know, um, I think for me, um, obviously, our, our owner, Jeffrey Lurie, um, Joe Banner, and, and Andy Reid were huge for me. And I remember Andy Reid saying to me, like, you know, you got to go on the road and you got to stay in these um, motels and uh, these bad hotels and these bad cities. And you got to go scout players if you want to be my GM. And um, I was going, why, why do I got to do this? Why do I got to stay in Motel 6? I could watch the guys on tape. And what I realized from him was how important the relationships were and how important it is to be on school campuses and get a sense of, these coaches and letting them trust you so you can get good information from them, how important it is for your scouts to see that you have done that and understand that being away from their family is important to you um, because I had to be away from mine. And so um, I think for me going through that sort of a pledging through it, um, you know, it made it maybe a little bit easier, but at the same time, no one wants to see you be successful. I mean, I think that's the reality for everyone to understand is that, um, you know, you got to push through the negativity. You got to push through. Um, it's very easy for people to say no, 
to you all the time. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really take that just like this one right here. I heard her trying to get a job. She said she wasn't going to take no. And I said, it's a, it's a person built from the same cloth I am. So um, I think it, it's, it's part of it. It's figuring out the determination and passion you have and then being able to push through the negativity that you're going to inevitably be faced if you want to be successful. Shout out, Jacqueline. Um, any stories of that? I mean, without names, where scouts kind of look at you and say, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing on our turf? Because we know how territorial that is. Yeah, I, th- I think naturally you have that and you have, you know, um, you have that through the media. And, um, you know, I just tried not to pay attention to it. I knew at the end of the day, none of that mattered, that the most important thing was trying to get credibility within my building um, so that I could help our team win. Um, having those allies uh, that I had in our building, people who were who tremendously successful and believed in me. Um, was really important. And then, you know, um, I grew up with a bunch of guys in the NFL who were all kind of the same age and who I think seven of us became GMs or assistant GMs. And so, you know, I kind of had that support too um, internally. So I I was lucky to be surrounded by, as I am now, great people. And I think that's the key to anything you do in life, the people you surround yourself with. You've had success and you've not had success. You know, it's sort of this life of ups and downs, and you've had recent success, and you had Super Bowl championship, and then a down, and now you're back up. How do you talk about? I would take I would take I would take exception with that. I think we've had tremendous success, and um, you know, we've made the playoffs five last six years. We had one down year. Um, we've made the playoffs since I've been GM eight of the twelve years. Won the division five times. So. You know, I, I don't feel like we've had a tremendous failure. I think what we've had is adversity. And I think there's a difference between um, failure and adversity. Adversity makes you stronger. Adversity is the thing that you need um, to have greatness, in my opinion. And so I've, I think we've had some adversity. Um, I, I feel like one of the reasons I'm able to stay in Philly is because we, we have had tremendous success as an organization since I've been there and um, luckily since I've been the GM. But um, adversity is okay. You know, sometimes adversity, it, it humbles you, it, it puts you back on path. And so we've had that a couple of times here in the last 12 years, um, 2012, um, 2015, and then again in 2020. Make excuses for all those, you know, COVID, um, coaching change, and all that stuff. I was going to say, how do you not become complacent with all your success? Yeah, I think um, it's funny because I, I always felt like once, if ever we won a Super Bowl, um, it would be hard to get motivated. And I remember thinking, you know, Bill Belichick and Saban, we have guys who work with both. And, you know, they win the Super Bowl and two days later, you know, get your ass back in the office and we got to get going. And I'm going, freaking assholes, these guys, you know, like just can't they enjoy the moment? And um, I have a guy who was our vice president of player personnel, Joe Douglas, who's the GM of the Jets now. And um, I remember him, say, him saying to me, um, he had won a Super Bowl in Baltimore. I remember him saying to me, like, wait till you win. I said, yeah, you're going to, you can take over the team. I'm going to be on a month long bender. You won't see me for a month. I'm going to be so excited. And uh, we won the Super Bowl in Minnesota. We came back uh, Monday night and Tuesday. I was driving in the office uh, a little later. It was probably like 9 o'clock, and um, 
I called him and I'm like, where are you at? He's like, I'm at breakfast. I'll be in around 11. And I said, you better get your ass in. We're going to get our ass kicked. We're a month behind everyone. And he goes, what, what happens to the month long bender? And I said, um, the feeling of winning, that feeling of the confetti falling on your head and um, knowing you're the best at something, it's addicting. And I think uh, once you feel it, you understand that, like, maybe just making the playoffs isn't enough, even though maybe you felt that way before. And so, you know, for me personally, um, incredible motivation, incredibly competitive at this point. Um, wish you could take your foot off the gas a little bit, but um, I think that it, it's fun. It's fun to win, and, it, and it's fun to win with people you care about. And I think we have that right now, and um, we had huge disappointment not winning that game. Um, and I think it drives you a little bit. I think there was disappointment in this room. <laughs> um, on the bright side, 2017, I'll never forget you standing up in front of that art gallery and saying, is this heaven? They won it. Round of applause. Um, that was quite a moment. And I remember Jason Kelsey mentioning you as who took a lot of bullets, took a lot of arrows coming up. That had to be a moment for you. Only at you saying it, but also hearing Jason. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the players on your team are like fingers on your hands. You know, they go through a process. I, I stand up in front of our team every year, Andrew, and I say, uh, we selected each and every one of you. You know, you are not here because you are allocated like you in NFL Europe. Um, I think that all those guys are there because they have some sort of trait that we find appealing. And so you get to pick those guys. And so when they go on to do something, you're incredibly proud and, um, when Jason got up there um, in his mummer suit after about 45 beers, and he mentioned my name, I did not know which way he was going. So um, I was really more anxious to know where he was going in front of 7 million people uh, than it was uh, hanging on everywhere. But, you know, you just to have those relationships with your players, and it's hard because we're in the business uh, of letting those guys go. And just like we talked about before, we have to say no to our players a lot. But... I think that um, they respect the honesty and they expect it when you're up, up front with them. And um, Jason, too, um, we just did a podca his podcast uh, this week together. I mean, he's one of these guys that he would be successful doing whatever he wanted. Uh, incredibly smart and um, persistent guy, determined guy. Yeah, you talked about letting guys go. I mean, you know, in Green Bay, I was there. We moved on from Brett Favre. They're doing it now with Aaron. You said goodbye to Donovan McNabb and so many others. I mean, that's got to be hard. Obviously, Jason's coming back. Fletcher's coming back. Brandon's coming back. But at one day, they're not going to come back. Yeah, we have to say goodbye to a lot of guys this offseason. And um, there's hard feelings from those guys. You know, why, why not me? Um, why aren't you paying me? Why didn't you want me back? And um, some of these guys, they feel like they played so – they gave their heart and soul to the team. How do you not bring them back? And those are difficult discussions, and they don't get any easier. Um, you know, and you talk about it. Uh, obviously, we have, we have this group of guys that have been there a long time. You know, I think what's unique about our team is uh, four of our captains are homegrown guys that we drafted, Brandon Graham in 2010, Jason Kelsey in 2011, uh, Fletcher Cox in 2012, and Lane Johnson in 2013. And they're, they're our captains, two offensive linemen, two defensive linemen, and 
um, you know, those guys really center our team and, um, pun intended, I guess. And I think that, um, you know, for us, just thinking about how we're going to replace those guys is constantly in my mind because uh, they're very hard guys to replace the work ethic, the talent, obviously the leadership. And so as we go into like this next month in this draft where we have the 10th pick that we didn't earn, we didn't, we did not earn the 10th pick. We're not picking. I got it. Um, I think that, you know, you kind of think about that. You kind of balance talent versus intangibles. And uh, ideally, you get guys with both. That's really hard to find those guys. And um, it's, it's almost like, you know, um, a seesaw. You know, you just you don't want to be too unbalanced. We talked about Donovan. Sort of the quarterback situation has always been, you know, it's an obvious point. That's the key to success in football. But you have really prioritized that. I remember not only Donovan, but Kevin Cobb and, and Michael Vick. And then I know it's kind of a sore subject, but I think it's instructive. You put so much resources into the drafting and extending of Carson Wentz, and it didn't work out. And that must have been a hard situation for you personally and professionally. That was your, you know, so much investment into that player. And he did so well for so long. Yeah, I think there's two parts of that question, right? One, um, the quarterback position in the NFL, it may be the most important position of any position in all of sports, certainly in my opinion, and uh, they're really hard to find. They're unique guys. Um, I saw a stat yesterday that even of the first-round quarterbacks, I think you know, one has gone on to win the Super Bowl on the team that they're drafted with. Mm. And so – um, you know, we've always also benefited by the backup quarterback position in Philly. The backup quarterbacks have been guys who have led us to division titles, led us to Super Bowl championships. So um, we know how long the season is, how hard it is to stay healthy through the course of the season, and that's such an important position that we've always prioritized not only the quarterback position, but like we like to say, the, the second quarterback as opposed to the backup. At least that's my selling point to backup quarterbacks. And so – I think, um, you know, it, you could have a, a heck of a team, and if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win. And um, the flip side is, like, if, if you have a great quarterback and uh, your team's just pretty good, he can elevate it. And a lot of these guys, we'll, we'll see a lot of these quarterbacks, whether it's Tom or Aaron, either retiring or leaving their team, it puts a lot of pressure on the team. We'll, we'll kind of see how that works out. I think in terms of Carson, you know, uh, again, um, I probably live in, in my own world, so maybe it's it's um, it's not reality. But I, I don't view Carson as not having worked out. Um, we drafted Carson two thousand sixteen, in two thousand seventeen, he probably was the MVP, um, led us to eleven and one, and wouldn't have gotten a home field advantage without him. Comes back the next year um, in eighteen and. Played well enough to get us to the playoffs, and then Nick kind of took the baton and played in the playoffs again, and then came back in 19, and uh, we won the division. And then I think from there, um, you know, Carson had some injury issues that that he kind of went through, and so I don't don't necessarily know it was the same player that we kind of drafted, and we all know that um, this game is physical. It's hard to take its toll on you, and and um, then, you know, we had to make the decision to kind of move on here in, in 2021, which I think um, I thought was going to be mutually beneficial. I thought him and Andy going back with Frank would really work out. And um, those picks we needed to kind of clean up uh, our cap and, and our situation here in Philly. And so 
Um, and then Jalen kind of um, had that first year where we made the playoffs and then obviously phenomenal this year. So um, I think for us, it, it ended up working out. We ended up getting, having him play for us, play well in the years he was there, and then uh, getting picks that we used to get Devontae and A.J. Brown and, and um, you know, this 10th pick in this draft that I referenced before. Well, that 10th pick in draft, I think, was made possible by your negotiating savvy. I don't want to get you in trouble, but it just seems like you have you bring this background to general manager, you say it's much more than scouting, and that's clear. I think your negotiating and business background has really been a a value add for the Green Bay, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I think it's competitive edge, Howie, and I don't say that just because we're friends. I think that you have been able to use trades and negotiations of contracts to the team's advantage. And as we head into this period now with a young quarterback that will someday, someday soon or not so soon, be extended with a massive contract, not breaking any news here, no. um, you're going to have to build around that. And there is this challenge that teams have, as I know, with top-tier quarterbacks on the pay scale continuing to be a Super Bowl contending team. And I know that's something you're facing. Yeah, I mean uh... – frankly, our two Super Bowl teams were with quarterbacks on rookie deals. And so um, I embrace that challenge uh, that um, one day, as you said, maybe soon, maybe far, far away, that we'll, we'll have uh, Jalen on a long-term contract. And he's the right guy to do that with. I mean, incredible guy, uh, incredible work ethic, um, talent, and just everything you, you look for representative of our football team. And so we, we got to do it a different way. And, um, you know, the challenge of never having done it that way and, and gone to a Super Bowl and certainly not winning a Super Bowl that way, it's, it's another thing that kind of motivates me. It just, you know, how do we put it together and how do we do something differently? And so um, that's what we have to do. You know, at the end of the day, the league is built like a bell curve. You know, they really want everyone in the middle of the bell curve. And to kind of get to the top of that bell curve, you have to take some chances that maybe put you at risk of falling on the other side of that bell curve. But otherwise, you're going to be 9 and 8. You're going to be 8 and 9. You're going to be in the middle of it like the league wants you to be based right. on parity, based on uh, where they have you pick. And so, um, you know, finding those those ways to do it, um, those challenges, uh, I think that's part of the exciting part of it. I mean, Jalen, I'm not saying anything new. He seems like the perfect guy. He seems to have a, a temperament that's amazing. Doesn't seem to get too high or too low. He speaks well. He has the the team's heart in his soul, it seems. There's, I mean, he's like perfect. How'd you get this guy in the second round? Are you trying to negotiate his contract? Yeah. I'm not really comfortable with where you're going right now. Five-year um, guarantee. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, I think one of the things with Jalen, we talked about it a little bit about adversity, and Jalen had adversity. Yeah. Um, you know, he came to, University of Alabama, four-star recruit, started as a true freshman, uh, took them to the national championship game, was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a true freshman, then goes uh, his sophomore year and gets benched in the national championship game. Two comes in and um, replaces him. The next year he doesn't play, you know, until the national championship game, and he goes to the national championship game, and, and two gets hurt, and he wins the national championship. Then he transfers to Oklahoma, and he gets better as a passer. And, um, you know, for us, we saw that this was a guy who had um, tremendous determination, tremendous leadership ability, but 
You know, a lot of time people talk about Jalen's intangibles. He's an incredibly talented guy. Um, you know, he, he's an incredibly talented passer, obviously uh, athlete um, and leader. And so for us, you know, you go back to that decision and having Carson, um, we have passion about Jalen Hurts. And we felt like there was a point at the end of the second round when he was there and how we felt about him with the most important position in sports that um, how do you take a different guy to a different position? You know, even if Carson was playing at an MVP level, this guy was going to play in the preseason. Um, you had tremendous insurance, and uh, maybe at some point, you know, you flip him. We had, we had success doing that with Coach Reed, and you guys have that in Green Bay, um, about, you know, quarterbacks are hard to find. So if you had one you really liked, and you're talking about guys in the second round that maybe solid starting safety or linebacker, you know, is that going to really flip your team if you needed it? And... Um, for us, it, it was a hard it, it was a hard pick only because of the noise around it. It wasn't a hard pick because of the player or the person. The noise meaning like what I dealt with in Green Bay, taking Aaron Rodgers and we had Brett Favre, that kind of noise. Yeah, with all due respect, Andrew, uh, Green Bay may have three reporters. Um, we have uh, we have about seven million in Philadelphia, <laughs> so um, I'm not sure it's apples to apples. Appreciate you though. This room is full of them. Yeah. We're about three weeks away from the draft, and last year at this time, you guys pounced on a receiver in Tennessee, A.J. Brown. There was a contract situation going on in Tennessee. You obviously had to be eyes and ears aware of that. You had to figure out when would be the right time. The contract was part of it. That seemed like a complicated deal to happen in those moments on draft night, so I'm assuming it happened over the weeks prior to it. Yeah, I think there were some conversations uh, prior to the draft, and then during draft we kicked up a little bit. Um, we really didn't agree to the deal till um, really Wednesday morning, um, and then we basically had 36 hours to get a deal done, and um, didn't get the deal done till we had traded up, taken Jordan Davis, and then um, we were on the clock again at 18. Obviously, I had to finish the deal before 18, so really just pushing trying in both directions, going back and forth, trying to do that, those deals. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was fun. It was exciting, um, only because we got the deal done. You know, I could imagine just that have leaking and not gotten A.J. Brown because we're going to get a contract done and having yeah. to answer those questions here. So um, very, very appreciative that we were able to get the, the contract done and the trade done. And um, A.J. is a heck of a player. And, and obviously his relationship with our quarterback is special and unique. Um, which makes it even more fun. As we look forward, well, let me ask you sort of uh, in our question, sort of big picture here. You just mentioned the Washington Commanders may go for $6 billion. The league seems pretty healthy. You know, the, all the metrics are good. The TV contract goes out 10 years, $100 billion. The player contract, labor deal goes out 10 years. From a macro perspective, what do you see the biggest challenges league-wide going forward? Pandemic. Another one? No, I don't know. I <laughs> okay. mean, you asked me. That, that, I, I remember feeling pretty good uh, going into 2020 yeah. where we were from a cap perspective, and um, and then we had that. And I, I think if you ask kind of, um, you know, obviously when you have all those contracts in place and you're able to put together models, uh, especially when you're talking about paying a quarterback, so you ask, you know, what, what can the rug come out from? It's just the unknown, the unprecedented, and uh, I think we've seen that happen, so you got to have your guard up for it a little bit. Question uh, about the Eagles going forward. You're going to have your quarterback in place, maybe. 
today, tomorrow, six months, a year, whatever it is. You've got a franchise tag, so you've got two years left. Um, you, do, you mentioned some of the guys you brought back. So it seems to me, again, you've got this young team, but you've got these veterans leaders. You've uh, taken advantage of trades with AJ. You sort of mix and match team. You know, you look mm-hmm. at some teams around the league, like the Bears sort of growing upwards. You look, some teams are veteran heavy. You seem to have a nice mix. Yeah, I think it's important that you have a nice mix. I think it's important that you have some veteran leadership to show young players um, the right way to work. Um, I think it's also important that you have this young culture. So you take our, you know, our defensive line room where um, we have Josh Sweat, who's 26 years old, Hassan Reddick, who's 26, and then you have Brandon Graham, who's really leading it. You take our offensive line and you have Kelsey and Lane in that room, and then you know we got a left tackle um, who's a great story from Australia, who's 25. You know, we got a 25-year-old left guard, you know, and our right guard was our second-round draft pick last year. Um, on offense, we're basically young. You know, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Jalen Hurts, these are all young guys. Um, and so you mix and match it a little bit, and I think over time you, you start to integrate more and more young players. And I think it's a really important next two years for us. Obviously, we have the two first-round picks this year, which, which is huge. And then we already have 12 picks in next year's draft. And, um, you know, it's kind of unique that you're sitting here and you're going, well, like the 2024 draft is a huge draft for us. But it is because if we do what we're saying here and pay our quarterback, we are going to need young labor and cheap labor. And so, um, you know, we're not going to go 12 for 12. And so getting more lottery tickets, getting more um, picks will be huge for us and develop, develop those guys, and, and player development's a huge part. I think the NFL is unique because it's the only place in the world where people expect you. Now, I, I never worked anywhere else, but I'd expect if, if you went into a law firm, and, and maybe Jeff can help us with his law firm, if you go into a law firm and um, you're a first-year associate, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah. You're a first-year associate. Nobody's expecting you to be unbelievable. These rookies come in, and if they're not unbelievable right away, bust. You know, um, your first-time head coach, and you're not good right away, fired. And so it's it's just very different standards um, in sports, and certainly in the NFL. There's no patience for that. There's no on-the-job training. You have to be good right away. You mentioned the coach. I remember you hired Nick Sirianni a couple years ago. Unknown, complete unknown. What drew you to him? Um, he, he just had this personality about him that you felt, one, you felt like when you were sitting in front of him and he was talking to you about football and he was talking to you about how he coached and schemes and he would get up and demonstrate, you felt like you were learning. Like, um, he was teaching and he was a really good teacher. He also felt like he had the ability to hold people accountable, which I think in this day and age is gone a little bit by the wayside. You know, I I think that, um, holding people accountable sometimes, is viewed as a negative, um, even though I think it's it's the right way to kind of run uh, a sports team. And people understanding the expectations, and when they don't live up to the standards that you have set, understanding that there are consequences for those. Uh, I think if you don't do that, then it, it's really hard to keep everyone in line. Um, you know, he had an incredible personality, an incredible offensive mind, and, um, you know, he, he was somebody that we felt like we knew because we knew Frank Reich so well. And so these, these are hard. It's like, um, it's like marrying someone after a three-hour first date, you know, and, and basically, um, like, who, who's doing that, right? That, that would be 
freaking psychopathic. So, but that's how we have to hire people in this. So you kind of go with people that you trust. And, um, you know, I think for us, we, we were kind of burned one time before on, on a coach. And um, I think whether it was with Doug or Nick, we felt like we knew these guys and we knew who they were and um, what they were bringing to the table. And so I, I think that that gives you a chance of success. And obviously, uh, Coach Peterson, who you know really well, um, brought us a world championship. And, and Nick, in his second year, got us to the Super Bowl as well. And you did so well this year, you lost both your coordinators. <laughs> I know, crisis success. And then you got to spend the time after the Super Bowl finding new coordinators and trying to keep your team together. So um, it, it's it's like, you know, it's not enough that we, we didn't win a championship. You know, now we got to go rebuild our, our roster and our coaching staff. Let's console him a little bit about not winning that championship. What a great year the Eagles had. What an incredible year. I mean... A good, a good year, to be fair. A great year would be a championship year. So a yes. good year. I'll take a good year. Whatever that bit below great is. Um, and speaking of which, we're talking about coaches... I have to ask, how was it being there with Coach Reed? How, being under Coach Reed? No, being in the Super Bowl oh. against Coach Reed. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I remember watching the championship game and being like, man, I, I'd love to play against Coach. How special would that be? You know, us, our relationship with him and the Kelseys. And then we got to the week, and I was like, am, am I out of my mind? I want to play with this great quarterback and this great coach. So uh, be careful what you wish for. You know, I think just, just seeing him, um, and I saw him after the game, and I felt like I, I owed it to him to congratulate him, as hard as that was. Um, you know, he deserves everything. Uh, he, he's elite, and I think part of me goes, all right, he's been coaching maybe top three coach of all time. He's been coaching 25 years as a head coach, and he just got a second world championship. So, um, I mean, it made me personally feel a little bit better for myself. Um, but... But, um, you know, it's just, it's hard. And then you got to go back to Arizona. We had NFL meetings this week in Arizona, and it's like PTSD. Oh, yeah. You know, everywhere I go, I'm reminded of it. So, As we close, what about your future? How long do you want to do this? And how long do you want to do this here? I assume only here. Um, I, I have no idea what, of either of those two things. You know, I love what I do, and... Um, you know, I love competing, and so I, I would say that um, there's there's no part of me that wants to do anything else right now at this time. Though your teaching gig looks pretty good, um, but nobody nobody's also offered me anything, so <laughs> I, I don't know that I have many options. I, I better keep doing what I do. Um, you know, I, I think that it's 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 very lucky, very fortunate to have these opportunities, and I think that the most fortunate part is that I get to take care of my staff. I get to uh, have people around me that. Um, as long as I have a job, they have a job, and their families get to stay here. And I think that's the part for me that's special is that I know that, um, you know, if we do well, that not, not only does it affect me, but I'll probably be all right. You know, I've been doing this long enough, but that our equipment guy and his family and our assistant equipment guy and our video guy and our scouts and their families don't have to move because you've seen – uh, these jobs are transient, and uh, families got to pick up and move and change schools and find new friends. And um, I think that I feel like that's my responsibility to keep them out of that, and um, that's motivation for me. And you mentioned the 7 million reporters <laughs> and this fan base that's so passionate, and I experienced that in Wisconsin as well. You love it, though, don't you? 
I mean, you complain, but you love it because you don't want to be a place where there's not that passion. No, no, no. I mean, you keep comparing Green Bay to Philly, and uh, I don't really think that that's freaking close. But, um, but, but um, you know, I think it, it's it's uh, you got to be on your A game at all times. And um, you know, I I, um, I was in Arizona and I had to do a media session, which um, wasn't really looking forward to. And it's it's freaking seventy five and sunny out and I'm like wearing my sunglasses and I got a big smile on my face. And like the, the first question's like, do you think Jalen Hurts wants to sign an extension with the Eagles? <laughs> and, and it's like, where, where, where is that even coming from? You know, the guys working out in our facility, it's just, you got to kind of push it to the side and understand that everyone is trying to um, get content. And uh, if everything is sunshines and rainbows, they're not going to get a lot of clicks on their articles. So I understand that. Um, and then our fans, you know, the passion our fans have to me is incredible. Like that's just a positive. Um, I don't know that uh, I would be happy being in a media market where the stadium was, you know, 75% full and uh, you had a lot of fans from visiting teams. I mean, we go on the road, we're like freaking you know, uh, freaking rock stars going, you know, we got people at our hotel, we got, you know, 20% of the stadiums, you know, the the sweetest sound to me is when we're on the road and there's less than five minutes left and you start hearing that Eagles chant, you know, I I mean, that is a special, special thing. And so I I, I take pride in it. Obviously, you know, it's easy to get defensive, um, as maybe I did a little bit here, here with you, um, but I think I think it just it puts that chip on your shoulder, and, and there's kind of a prove it mentality every year. And uh, again, you can't get content. We had the whole crowd chanting, "We go pack go!" So yeah, your fans are <laughs> travel. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear. You. Okay, um, this was wonderful. Let's give it up for NFL Executive of the Year, Eagles General Manager Howie Roseman. Thanks, my man. I really hope you enjoyed that. It was something I enjoyed doing, something he told me later he really enjoyed doing, where we get to have smart and comfortable and hopefully instructive and informative and conversation with uh, one of the true business leaders, one of the top executives in the biggest sport in the country. Howie's been through a lot and how he's on top right now, although they didn't win the Super Bowl and he talks about that. I'll release more interviews from that symposium down the line with Carl Nassib, the first openly gay NFL player, with Ross Tucker, you've heard of him, and with Justin Tuck, the great New York Giant, who's now wealth manager for Goldman Sachs. All of that to come. But that was Howie. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you liked the podcast and uh, found it, find it unique in your podcast stream and share it with a friend. Twitter, Andrew Brand, Instagram, Andrew Brand. To my newsletter, go to andrew-brandt.com. This week, I'll be breaking down the NBA collective bargaining agreement that just came out. Instagram reels all the time. I'll be talking about this stuff. And of course, my column on Sports Illustrated, where I talked about the Lamar Jackson situation this week. Hope you guys have a great Easter, great Passover. Enjoy your weekend with family and friends. Enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend, give us a ranking, which really appreciate it. Thanks to Jack Connell, producer. Thanks to Sam Brandt, my musical producer. You hear the music under us. Thanks to you for listening. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.